Welcome to Coach Bennett's podcast, where every run has a purpose, where kindness is hardcore, where this is about running, and this is not about running, where every starting line is a finish line in disguise, where rambling still gets you where you need to be, where pineapple will never ruin your pizza, and the sodas, adult and not adult kind are always cold, and where there is room on the starting line for everybody. I'm Coach Bennett. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day. Let's get started. Do we have a special episode 23 for you? The answer is yes, absolutely we do. And it's inspired by so many different things. First, of course, it's inspired by all of you. And the fact that you loved the episode Mindset Matters a few weeks ago. You loved the question and answer episode. And you all love to race or at least challenge yourself push yourself set great goals so what i did was i wrapped all of that goodness together and here we are episode 23 mindset matters racing edition with the one the only coach tammy of show up society so we've got a lot to cover because of all of you answering questions and sending them to us so let's get to it Welcome to a special edition of Coach Bennett's podcast. And what makes it special? Well, first and foremost, the fact that we've got the one, the only mindset coach extraordinaire, Coach Tammy Bennett with us today. But like I said, a special edition. This one is Mindset Matters Racing Edition, I think. We, I don't know. We, I think that's what we're going to call it. Anyway, welcome back to the show, Coach Bennett. Thank you for having me. Well, you kind of know the deal. I think everyone kind of knows the deal. I put out a little post. Thank you for sharing it, by the way, Coach. Uh, mentioning the fact that this is a busy racing weekend. And we figured, you know what? Why don't we have a little special episode of Mindset Matters on the Coach Bennett podcast where we ask the listeners to send in some questions. And we got so many questions. And we're going to try to work our way through as many as we can today. But I imagine, considering the feedback, that we're going to be doing this again and again and again. So do you want to just get right into it? Let's go. Okay. So, Coach, the first question, which I think is a really important one, and it's something that we've touched on quite a bit between ourselves and the athletes we work with. But we got this question, and it is uh, from, and again, I'm, these are mostly Instagram handles, so I'm going to butcher you know, the, the names, but... Samirizvi26 is post-race depression a thing. I also get super bummed after running a race and lose motivation. Coach, I know that you've spoken about this before. Can you answer that question? Is post-race depression a thing? I also get super bummed after running a race and lose motivation. Yes, I would love to answer this question. And yes, the answer is yes, it is a thing. <laughs> and when I'm coaching my athletes or coaching people that are working on other big goals, it might not be a race. We plan it in ahead of time. So I say, after you hit this goal, whether that be the race, let's just talk about race since we're doing a racing edition of the podcast. Yeah. After you finish that race, yeah, there's going to be a little blues for a couple of days afterwards because this purpose that you've had for all these weeks or months or however long you've been training is all of a sudden gone. Now what's your purpose? Now what? And so I build it in and we have a couple days, maybe up to a week where you're just not doing any exercise purposefully though. And you're using that time to just reflect 
I like to think of it as like basking in the sunlight of the thing that you just accomplished. And you're just thinking like, wow, I just did that. And and you reflect on all the things that you had to do to get yourself across that finish line, all the training, all the times when it was hard to get out the door and go run. So you just use that time to reflect and to rest your body and to not have a goal, to not think about what's next until after you have fully recuperated and rejuvenated. And then you can start thinking, okay, what would I like to do next? But I think one thing that we do as humans is we finish something and then we're like, okay, what's next? Without even pausing to realize how great it was that we just did the thing. So pause, reflect, recuperate, and then you can move on to what's next. I love that. Because I also like um, acknowledging that it's that it's there and it's going to happen and it's a possibility. Because I think a lot of people are surprised, especially after maybe their their first time they've taken on a big running goal, like a half marathon or a marathon or a, anything, a 5K or a 10K. I think it's also a great reminder that it's it wasn't always just about the race. Because now that the race is over, I think some of that kind of hangover, for lack of a better term, comes from the journey being done. Yeah. And and realizing just how powerful and beautiful the journey was and how meaningful it was to have this great purpose and this commitment that you were committed to. And I think that's also a good lesson for the next time you take on another challenge or another goal to remember that the journey really is maybe the most beautiful part of this this whole process. So don't don't, you know, put all of the focus and the spotlight on just race day. It's every day leading up to race day, which is, I think, what we miss maybe more than anything else when it's done. And it's okay to miss it. It means that you enjoyed this journey and it was something meaningful to you. You got it. Okay. We're moving on to another question because we have a state championship cross-country meet that we have to go to. So we have to record this and edit this and upload it and then get in the car and drive to a cross-country meet. So we're going to be efficient, which is hard for me. All right. Here's here's the next one. You ready, coach? Let's do it. How do I forget a past racing failure and remember it at the same time for motivation? This is from Gerard. Great question, Gerard. Coach, how do I forget a past racing failure and remember it at the same time for motivation? That's a great question, Gerard. And I think you kind of answered it yourself. Uh, the way I think about it is if you're in a car and you're driving towards your goal, towards how you want to feel, towards what you want to accomplish, that is motivation as it is. But I think it's really helpful once in a while to look up in the rearview mirror at your past and at that past hurtful event or, or not great race and use that to remember, oh, I don't want to feel like that again. So how am I going to prepare myself in the best way that I can to try to avoid that feeling? So you're both running towards how you want to feel and you're running away from how you don't want to feel. And I think it's I think it's more sustainable to keep your focus on ahead of you, what you want to feel and run towards that. But every once in a while, look over your shoulder and remember, oh, I don't want to feel that again. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's 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 a perfect answer. And I'm only going to add to it because I'm a nerd and I'm a history nerd. And I think a lot of it can be summed up in the fact that, you know, if we if we don't know our history, that we we are kind of destined to repeat it. And I think in that lies a great lesson for when it comes to bad runs, bad races, which is if you learn from them, then they suddenly have a real great power because you are now a smarter athlete. You are no, you are now a more experienced athlete. You have earned wisdom. So I don't think you ever want to forget a past racing failure. I think it's good to remember them. I think the important thing is to then learn from them. 
because if you don't learn from them, then it's the, the odds are that you're, you you shouldn't be surprised if it happens again. So I think if you, I'm basically saying the same thing as you coach, but I just had to bring in history at least once to every single episode. Yeah. Like you said, history nerd. Yes. But you know, whatever. Okay. Next one. You ready coach? Yes, I am. Okay. I guess I don't need to keep asking you if you're ready. No, this is like hold the applause till the end kind of thing. <laughs> okay, but no one ever does, especially at graduation. They never listen. Nor should they. If you know, I was four just years, gonna say, yeah, right? celebrate Maybe. all of them. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, what else do you have to do? It's a Sunday. It's graduation. You've already factored in that the day's done. So if it takes an extra fifteen minutes because somebody wants to scream out their kid's name, you know, let them scream it out. All right, coach. Next question comes from Anderson Jordan too. This is a great question. It's a very common one as well. How to avoid feeling anxious at the start, had a panic attack one race and had to stop. Okay. So my usual answer to this is you don't, you don't avoid feeling anxious at the start or feeling nervous at the start. So this is something that you care about. You've been training for it. It's important to you. You're going to have some nerves come up. Usually it's not a problem. However, if you are experiencing a panic attack, for you, I would say, let's try to get you back to a place of functioning anxiety or functioning nervousness. So one thing that can help is to just put your hand to your chest, touch skin to skin, and that will help ground you a little bit. And then to just remind yourself that it's going to be okay no matter what the outcome is. If you even want to play around in worst case scenario, what would be the worst case scenario here at this race? And then figure out how you will handle that. It will help your brain calm down a little bit, and it will see that even in the worst case scenario, you are going to be able to handle it. You will figure out what to do, and then your brain will be like, oh, okay, you've got this. I, I see. Even in the worst case scenario, you're going to be okay. Okay, I'm going to relax a little bit, and I'm going to let you just go on and do your thing. Yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that you didn't say, don't be anxious, because it's. I think a lot of people lose energy when they're trying to fight the fact that they're nervous or fight the fact that they're anxious. I think it's, it's, you're going to, if you're looking at this from just a purely coaching, like physical aspect, you don't want to waste energy on the starting line. And a lot of people are, you're going to be nervous. You're going to be anxious. That's okay. It's just not fighting it. That's where you're going to lose a lot of energy. So I think everything that coach Tammy said is, is absolutely is a great way to be managing things like nerves and anxiety on a starting line. All right, coach, we're moving on. We got another one. All right, so here we go. All right, coach, I got a question for you. This one is from Iron Hanab or A Run Hannah B or some version of that. Okay. It's Instagram handles. We don't know. And this is the question. Should you practice racing or save the energy for race day? That's a good question. And it's got an easy answer. You should be practicing racing with every run you do. I think if, in fact, if you stop looking at your runs as like, well, it's a speed run, it's a long run, it's a tempo run, it's an easy run, and just look at it first and foremost as practice, it'll actually get you in the right mindset for what you're really doing. Because you can run easy and be practicing how to handle yourself during a race by making sure your form is efficient and that you're focused or you're relaxed running an easy pace. That's that's going to pay off on race day. It's like in a tempo run where one of the great things is trying to practice being you know, comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's something that you're practicing for race day, a long run. You're callousing yourself uh, mentally and physically for these longer durations and these longer distances because you're going to be using that endurance, that mental and physical endurance on race day. 
And sometimes you're doing speed runs where you're going even faster than race pace. So every time you run, if you look at it as practice first, like every other sport does, as opposed to I'm going for a run, I think what you'll realize is that every single run is practice for another run or for a future race. So that's also a great way to bring that confidence to race day when you think I've been practicing for this in so many different ways, which is why you can handle races that take so many different shapes or go in so many different directions because you have the capability of doing that. So you're always practicing how to race when you go for a run. Okay. So this one comes from Kevin Rierick. He says, what's the best post-race swag snack you've ever gotten or ever seen? I have my answer to this. <laughs> okay, go. I'm going to have to think. So you go. Okay. So um, I do not drink, but uh, when I was growing up, I started racing at nine or 10 years old. And after every race, and I raced almost every weekend, they had beer tents. So after the race, people would go, you'd get like a little wristband or something. And you would go into the beer tent and have some Miller Lite or whatever it was. So even though I don't drink, I think for a lot of people, that would probably be their best post-race swag snack that they could have. Mm, that's interesting because I do drink. And I don't think I've ever wanted a beer immediately after a race. Oh, these tents were jam-packed. Oh, I know. Believe me, I've seen it. And it's odd because I love beer, but the the right after a race, it's probably one of the last things on my list. It's like I, I also don't want a stronger cigarette. beer. You you drink stronger beer than what they were serving. No, but that's I think after a race, I probably want the weaker beer anyway. Like yeah. in my head, I'm trying to imagine it, but I still I've never I don't think I'd rush to the beer tent. I would need I would need some time. And it's odd because I don't know if I've ever had something that stands out post race. But I can tell you that when we used to run, when we lived in Northern California, when I was running for Nike, we would run at this place called Hutter park and we would do our longer runs there. And I remember I would always stop at the Woodside like convenience store. Although this was like a high end convenience store. Cause Woodside was like a ridiculous little Hamlet in, the, in Northern California. It was like they wood had, paneled on the outside. It looked like a log yes, cabin, right? And at yes. least in my memory, it did. No, you're exactly right. It was like an unbelievable little store. And we would we would go in there real quick and I would get three items and people are going to be grossed out by the combo, but too bad. I don't care. I would get one of those uh, Adwala superfood green drinks. Mm -hmm. and, and then I would get um, two of those chocolate hostess cupcakes with the vanilla or not vanilla, but like that white in the middle and it have like the little white swirly on the top of the chocolate cupcakes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I would get an ice cold can, not bottle can of Coke classic, the, the straight up Coke, none of this diet Coke nonsense. And I would have the Adwala superfood drink. Then I would nail probably one of those cupcakes and then I would get into that Coke. And that was, I mean, so if, if a race ever handed those three items out, like an order, that would be the best but I'm not sure if I've ever gotten a post-race swag snack. That's amazing. That's a great question I, though. Yeah. I, I got a Coke, like those little mini, the little mini cans that are so adorable mm -hmm. after a race before. And really? I thought that was really good. Yeah. So yeah, good. I think that's brilliant. I think that's yeah. brilliant. And I love, I, I think like I love oranges afterwards. Like, so I'm psyched when they have like oranges out there and, you know, I've, I've never really been a post-race immediately grab a bagel person. 
bananas are are fine. But yeah, I think it would be interesting to kind of have like, if you could have anything, what would it be? And it would almost, it would be, I think it would be really kind of random. I think the cold Cokes are great. Remember when we used to do Tuesday night workouts for the community, we would have that cooler. And it's amazing this, the drinks that people would grab because we'd have waters in there. But yeah, people would always grab the sodas. Oh, yeah. The Fanta started, orange or the yes, orange crush. Those things yes. got gotten. <laughs> yes, those those were gone. And I remember us kind of laughing, like, are we really buying these drinks for people? Because I think we thought we would like it. And it was amazing how those drinks went before the waters. People would always grab a water for home. But post run, man, yeah, we'd have a couple Coors Lights in there. Couple of the grape sodas, the orange sodas, and those all those were always gone. So yeah. Great question. All right. I got one more for you. All right. All right. This is from Jeanette. She says she loves the things that me and you have shared about how we coach and encourage runners. And she would love to know the best things to say when people are their people are running. So when you're a cheerer, what are some best things to say? Because she has a child that is a runner. Yeah, I think we each have an answer for this. They're a little teeny bit different. Well, why don't you go? Go for it. So I think I focus more on, because I, I coached youth for so long, that, and these are you know younger kids who are just kind of coming into running, learning about running. So my uh, kind of feedback cheers were always sort of related to like body and form. So like, look up, you know, because a lot of them are just looking straight down at the track. So eyes ahead or look at, you know, so-and-so in front of you. Um, or use your arms, drive your arms, um, that kind of thing, or like check your breathing. So I was focused, I think a little bit more on like their body and their form to just bring them back into focusing on that instead of like how tired they were, or if they were feeling a little discouraged, if you just bring it back to the body, it can help. And I always saw your cheers as a little bit more strategic. So I've learned a lot from you about how to give people kind of strategy while you're cheering. So I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I think it's also important to note, which I don't know if you realized it at the time when you were saying those things to the kids, it also wasn't in a panicked way. Because I see coaches sometimes that are like, you got to drive your arms, you got to drive your oh, arms, God, yeah. which comes across to the athlete as I'm not doing this, something's wrong, which is not what you want to be saying to your athlete. What you would say was it was like tactical kind of strategy, like and you would see these kids very calmly adjust what they were doing every maybe time. It was yes. so cool. And the other thing is, is I would also kind of uh, sneak those things in. Um, but usually I would do it at certain times of the race where I realized, OK, here's here's where the race is kind of going to get difficult. It's usually like in the third quarter of the race, whether it's a mile or a 5K, I would almost always yell something about their form or their breathing because I knew that was something they could do. And I knew that was something that they could immediately do. And they would think about it, which meant they weren't thinking about, oh, this is starting to get hard. So it was usually the third quarter where I would say something like, keep those shoulders down or, you know, like um, slight lean forward or like all we're focusing on is breathing. Because what I didn't want them to do was either lose focus, which, which yeah, as long as they're focusing on something positive, you have focus or, focus on the fact that, uh-oh, this is the hardest part of the race. So if I could sneak in a minute or a minute and a half of them really concentrating on their breathing or their form, I knew that was a minute and a half. They weren't thinking, I can't do this because they're literally doing something that they're in control of. The strategy side was stuff that actually made sense 
because I heard too many coaches yelling stuff that makes no sense, like go faster or beat her or get in front of her. Like that's that's what are you doing? I, I think you're giving people a lot more credit because a lot of people are like sprint really got to go. <laughs> yeah. Not even any sort of strategy like get in front of this girl. I think that's yeah. way more strategy than most people offer. Yeah, no, you're right. And and it's it's often they're yelling sprint and you got to go. You know, like that's something you can yell when literally there's so little time left in the race that they can sprint. To and there's the someone on their shoulder the that they need to sprint away from. Yeah. And and that they can. I mean, because you can only you can only sprint for like 10 to 15 seconds. So, yeah. I mean, like if you're yelling that I hope the finish line is in 10 to 15 seconds. But my stuff was usually um, things that they could use to run better. So um, it could be something like. um uh, I noticed that there's a gap forming between them and a group, and I know that the people behind them are falling off. So they're, they're not going to find themselves within another group. They're going to be alone. So I would say something like, you know, slide up one yard or two yards. You, This is the group you want to stay with, you know, or get in the middle of this group, because I know that the, that's that's what's going to help them maintain the pace that they need to maintain. Or um, the front of the group is 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 falling back which means, okay, now they know the people in front of me are coming back to me. So now they can be engaged and realize I may not be at the you know front of the group, but I'm running faster than the front of the group, which, which helps a lot. You know, so it's, it's usually tactical things like that, that the, the kid can use or, Hey, you know what? If we each pass three people in the next K we win because a lot of times you have to give them something they're they are willing to run hard for and I'll tell you what their team is usually what they're willing to run the hardest for so if you can be paying attention to the scores and and have concrete things like three people five people 10 yards that's important saying things like we got to go well, where what does that mean so just you really got to think about what you're saying and um listening to actually you coach Tanda, the younger kids changed the way I yelled things as well. Cause I'm, I'll give you one of the best coaching lessons I ever got was we were in a bookstore. This was when we were in college. I think, I mean, you're going to remember this story because it made such an impact on me as a coach years later and a little kid fell and like hit their head and got up. And the kid was a little bit shocked. I mean, couldn't have only been maybe like three or four, but was, was handling things. And there was a little bit of, I think, a cut, maybe like the smallest little thing. The mom ran up to the kid and the kid was looking at the mom and the mom panicked. The mom went, oh, my God, your head. Very small cut. And that made the kid lose it, completely lose it. Prior to that, you could tell this little kid was like, I hit my head. That was crazy. And now suddenly something was wrong because the authority figure was reacting that something was wrong. And, I've, and you called that out. You didn't, it wasn't about coaching. You were just saying like, this is one of those moments where you want to make sure that you're in control and you're calm or the kid's going to react and be what you are, which is out of control. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I tucked that away. And years later, I took that when I was coaching. That's one of the most important coaching lessons I ever got. And that was us sitting in like a Starbucks coffee place. Yeah. They look to you to figure out how, how are you supposed to feel about this situation? And if you're being totally calm and relaxed and like, we're good, everything's good. Keep moving yep. up. Yes. And they're like, all right, we're good. Let's just keep moving up. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. I got a question for you. This is pretty straightforward, pretty quick. You ready? Let's go. 
This is from Charlie the Runner. Do you eat breakfast on a race day? Me personally, or do I recommend it? You personally. And then you can talk about whether you recommend it or not. Uh, I personally do, and I recommend it. Um, your body needs <laughs> energy to run. So I know it's really hard to eat breakfast a lot of times when your tummy is all up in knots and nervous and the butterflies are going crazy. But I mean, there's literally times when I'm just like forcing myself to take the bites and like, I just, I take all my emotions out of it and I just become a robot and I just get this food in just because I know it is so, you know, your body needs it to run. Yeah. I'm, I'm the exact same way. And I, I think it's also one of those things where you got to take into account. You're probably not going to feel hungry on race day because of the things that Tammy just said. The butterflies can kind of get in the way. That's why it's also important to prepare and put something in front of you that you know is easy for you to eat. Okay. And and that's what I usually do. I even when I had long runs early in the morning or a workout early in the morning, I would set my alarm for so early because what I would do is in the dark, I would wake up, I would have stuff literally at my nightstand. I would eat drink, and then go back to bed because I knew how important it was to have that. Because if you don't, if you just do the math, it's pretty simple. If you go to bed and you sleep for, let's say, eight hours, you probably didn't eat for the two hours prior to that. And you're probably not going to start running for an hour after you wake up at a minimum, which means we're now at 11 hours where you haven't had anything to eat or drink. At what other point would you ever go 11 hours without eating or drinking before a run? Like, would you wake up at eight and then not eat or drink when your run is at 7 p.m.? No, you would never do that. So we don't take into account how much time is going by when we sleep. So to Tammy's point, it may not be the easiest thing, but if you want to make things harder, then then don't make, you know, then don't get the fuel and fluids that you need. So sounds and like I just want to say agree. one. Yeah. And I just want to say one more thing when we were talking earlier about practicing for a race. One of the things that you can do is practice eating different things at different times and see yes. what works for your body. So if you're going to have a speed workout or a hard run, practice eating breakfast so that you know what works for you and your body before race day. That's absolutely a great answer, which leads us into our next question, by the way, um, from Fatima Alonso, how to prepare for a race the day before and on race day. So you just talked about one thing, which is practicing what you're going to be eating the morning of a big race or a big run. And one of the things that you can do is practice on all of that training that you've got those weeks and months prior where you do exactly that. But what are some other ways, Tam, that you can prepare for a race the day before or on race day? So I'll sort of talk about the mind part of it. One thing that I love to tell my athletes to do the night before is to review their training logs and to look at all of the work that they have done, because it just reminds you like, oh yeah, we're ready for this. My body is totally ready for this race. Cause look at those hill workouts that I did and look at those speed workouts and look at all those long runs. Look at all those times I ran when it was pouring rain or it was really hot and I figured out a way to do it. It really can boost your confidence to realize that your body is totally ready for this race tomorrow. And so that's kind of like getting your mind ready, reminding that your body's ready, but then also to remind yourself to have fun that race day is sort of like the recital. You've done all the hard practices that nobody got to watch and you're doing it out there. 
and doing all this work and, and not being like seen or recognized for it. The race is sort of like the day you get to go on stage. This is the fun part. This is when you get to dress up in the glittery costumes. And I mean, not like literally, but like, I mean, you can if you want. You, you can, can if you, you can want. Run. I was, you know, metaphorically, the like the glitter and the glamour. And here's like showtime, right? Here's when you get to show off all the hard work that you've done to just get your mind in this. This is going to be fun kind of mindset. And for the record, I think there's not enough glitter on race day, just to, you know, metaphorical and literal. There's not enough. Yes, both. Okay. I agree. Yeah. I'm also uh, a, a little bit less uh, exciting and flashy in my answer. I mean, Tammy brought in the glitter and the sequins and all that good stuff. But I also think um, preparing for all of the logistical parts is going to make race day so much easier. And again, that goes back to all of the weeks of training, but it is something like making sure you have the components of whatever breakfast you're going to have. It's knowing how long it's going to take to get to where you need to be for the race. It's it's knowing what you're going to have for dinner the night before and all of these things you're practicing. And for before that biggest long run, hey, make it race night. What are you going to eat? Where are you going to eat? Who are you going to eat with? You know, when do, you, when do you have to warm up? Knowing all of these things is going to take so much of the pressure off race day. And also, I think one of the best parts about looking at the, the, the training log that Tammy said, which is really important, is all of that training is insurance for when things don't go exactly the way they're going to, because they're not going to go exactly the way they're going to. So if you are getting to uh, the starting line a little late, guess what? The most important factor in you running well is your fitness. It's all the work that you did. It's not whether you started your warm up at 15 minutes or 30 minutes or 20 minutes. That's that that does not going to have a big impact. So just have the confidence that you're going to be able to go with the flow. So it's a little bit of a marriage of the mindset preparation and the logistical preparation, putting it together with all the physical preparation that you've done. And you have a whole podcast on that, right? What, what podcast episode is that about race day prep? I do. It's actually called race day. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, so listen so, to that too. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So we got to move because we're going to try to get a couple more in before we've got to get ready and get out of here. All right. How do I convert my, in parentheses, returning fears to a positive mindset? This is from Linda M. Gard. How do I convert my returning fears to a positive mindset? Coach, talk to me. Talk to us. Here we go. This is one of my favorites. The returning kind of negative, unhelpful thoughts will return forever and ever, as long as you're a human. As long as you are a human with a functioning brain, you are going to have self-doubty kind of thoughts come in, nervous thoughts come in, the ones that we call negative or unhelpful. That's not a problem. It's not a problem. Don't try to get rid of them. Don't get upset with yourself if the negative kind of doughty thoughts come in. We're just going to accept that you have a human brain that functions normally, and it's going to give you some thoughts that maybe don't feel good. Here's where the magic happens. This is what mindset means to me. You hear the thoughts come in and you choose not to listen to them or not to believe them. You choose, okay, you're telling me that I should be scared about this race. Well, I'm not going to because I'm ready because I just looked over my running logs and I've practiced racing and I'm ready to go. So you're going to hear the thoughts come in and then you're going to choose purposefully, consciously to ignore those doubtful thoughts, to ignore the negative talk. And you're going to choose to tell your some, yourself something that feels a lot better, that feels a lot more joyful or confidence giving. So 
going to have them come in. You're going to be aware of them and go, nope, we're not going to talk to ourselves that way. We're not going to think that way. Instead, we're going to tell ourselves that we're ready, that this is going to be fun, that this is going to be a good time. Okay. Uh, we're here in the last stretch now. You ready for another one? It's coming fast and furiously. Here we go. This is from Fred Trevino. Why does it suck to be in a higher age category? I think I'm going to start with this one. Um, Do I don't. I don't think it does suck to be in a higher age category. I think you can make it seem like it sucks to be in a higher age category if you're equating everything about success with maybe what you did as a younger athlete. But again, that's that's there. It depends on what metrics you're basing what you're doing on. If everything is, you know, when I race success is can i do this faster than i've ever done it before then i'll tell you what like then i am setting myself up for failure 100 percent of the time i will not run a faster mile i will not run a faster two mile 5k 10k half marathon than i have in the past i i just won't i can't do it physically but i can have a better mile i can have a better 5k i can have a smarter half marathon i can run a tougher 5k or 10k I can be a more intelligent cross-country runner than I was when I was younger. So I think what you really have to do is go in and say, what am I trying to do here and why am I trying to do that? And am I setting myself up for failure or success? And am I measuring success in one way or as many ways as I can? So again, I think that's something where I'm going to bounce the question back to you. Why does it suck for you to be in a higher age category? And, and does it make sense for why you're making this anything less than an opportunity for you to be trying to do something better in some way than you've ever done before? Yeah. I mean, I think you answered it perfectly. Hey, thanks, coach. You're welcome, coach. <laughs> okay. I got, I got another one, coach. This one's I'm bouncing at you because you've coached so many young XC runners. This is from Kate B. Cochran. Ways to help young XC runners develop a better racing mindset. Go. Okay, this is great. I think, uh, especially with young runners, the focus should be on fun. You know, if you think about when we were on the playground at three or four or five years old and we're playing tag and hide and seek, running was fun. It was really fun to try to get away from people or try to get to a soccer ball faster than the other people. It was really fun. And so just to keep it fun. So kind of gamify it, like, let's see how many people you can pass and let's have fun. And when there's going to be that hill, we're going to see if we can go up the hill really hard and then keep going hard for five more steps after that. So just kind of thinking it, phrasing it in ways of fun. And I also like to really empower kids by saying, can you just? So do you think that you can go a little harder here? Like if you're in practice, you're just going to teach them to kind of question themselves. Like, can we do a little bit faster on this one? Um, and so just give them the power. Can you do this? And oftentimes they're going to want to answer yes. So maybe when you're out on the course, it's like, okay, let's try to go hard for the next minute. Do you think you can do that? And they're going to be like, heck yeah. And they're going to run hard for the next minute. So I think just keeping it fun and keeping them focused on what they can control and what they can be in charge of with their bodies and their running, I think is really helpful. I'll tell you what uh, I love about that answer is because it it sets up the foundation for great racing later on um, when the sport inevitably becomes more serious for, for, you know, whether they're in high school or in college, because what happens is it gives you the freedom, like you said, to learn how to actually race 
And that it really does come down to this conversation about, should I move now? Should I back off now? Can I slide up a little bit? I mean, is it a constant conversation as opposed to gun goes off, run as hard as you can? That's that's not how you race, or at least that's not how you race well. So I think, one, always anchoring it, and this is supposed to be fun. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but it should be fun. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have your heart broken, but that's part of life, and that's exciting, and that's what it means to be passionate about something, and it is fun. I think... You're equating it with the games we played is perfect. And I think if young coaches, or I should say coaches of young athletes, ground their coaching in the fact that you're teaching them how to play this game, which is cross country, it's it's going to end up as more fun. And if it ends up as more fun, it's more likely these kids are going to fall in love with the sport. And if they fall in love with the sport, that's how they're going to get to their best self as a cross country runner. You're never going to run as fast as you could if you don't love the sport. So I think that's that's a perfect answer. Well done. That's uh, it's funny because that we can cut this out if you want, but that's exactly how I ended that like open letter to coaches of high school runners. No, we're going to keep this in because you know what? I'm going to link the letter in the show notes for everybody because that's one of the best things ever written about coaching young athletes. And by the way, we're all young athletes. So yeah, we're we're no, we're keeping that in. Okay, so I love that. Okay, so if we're going to link to that, I think can I just say a quick one or two more things about that really quickly? Yeah, please do. Is I think that letter will be also helpful to the question that we just answered prior to this one about the running sucking at an older age group. If if you're determining sucking on your times aren't as fast, I think this will be a really good thing, open letter, whatever post yes. for that person to read. Absolutely. Really anybody listening to this podcast. Uh-huh. But I think I wanted to just say one more thing about how to coach young kids. I think it's also equally important to coach the parents of those young kids to realize there's so much more to kids and kids racing than PRs. And that's mm-hmm. what this letter that we're going to link to will help you see. Um, and it will help you give some questions of, of what to ask your kids after they finish running. But I think so many times the kids aren't having a problem. It's the parents that are upset that their kids aren't running faster or getting PRs. So I think, you know, hand in hand, when you're coaching kids, you also got to coach the parents on what to look for and what to appreciate about their kids racing and running. Absolutely. Yes. Facts. As As two coaches who have, you know, spent a lot of their lives coaching athletes whose parents are at all of the meets, meaning young athletes. Yes. The the parents need to be coached as well. It will also make your life as a coach much easier. If you've got parents that are being better parents to the athletes that are running. All right. We've got uh, time for one more question. Maybe two. This one is from FM Daniel and it is how can I recover faster after being sick? All right. This is also a very common question because people get anxious if they if they get sick uh, during their training for a race. Um, the answer to the question, how can I recover faster after being sick, is you can't. But you can definitely recover slower after being sick. And that's the way I like to look at it. So you, you can't speed up healing, but you can you know improve the possibility that you're going to stay sick or take longer recovering from getting sick or increase the likelihood of getting sick. By what you do. So patience is really, really important. And what you have to remember is you run your best when you're healthy and you can't speed up getting over being sick. 
You can't speed up healing from an injury. So you have to be passionate and patient about both those things. Now, here's the cool thing about being patient. Being patient is a sign of confidence. Confidence is a really important thing for a distance runner. So what you want to remember when you're being patient, which is not easy to do, is you are actually also exercising that muscle that leads to confidence. So by being patient, you're learning to be confident. So you want to be doing all of those things that you can control and help yourself heal. So recovery is really important. How do you recover best? You sleep as well as you possibly can. I have a newsletter about that that you can you can read. We'll have a link to that as well. Eating is really, really important. Giving yourself the fuel so your body can fight this sickness so it can help itself get back to 100%. So you want to be eating really well, okay? And remember, it's not about what you keep out of your body that's going to make you better. It's about what you're putting in. So stop focusing about like, I'm not going to eat this, I'm not going to eat that, and focus on I'm going to eat this, I'm going to eat this, I'm going to eat this. Staying hydrated, dealing with the stress in your life, laughing aids recovery. So these are the types of things that you can do to help yourself recover as fast as you can, but there isn't anything faster than as fast as you can. So don't try to heal faster. Allow yourself to heal and you'll be running as soon as you can. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what I was going to say. You're going to recover faster by not trying to do it faster. It takes as long as it takes. You just chill till you're better. But the trying to, to do it faster actually can make you a little bit more stressed out and take longer. So totally. we're saying the same thing. Yes, totally. All right, coach, we got time for two more. Two more. You ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Is racing by feel better than pacing by GPS? This is from Matthew Payne Tur. Is racing by feel better than pacing by GPS? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think they're both important in the way that I talk about with mindset about this is the number on the GPS, the, the pace is just a number. It's neutral. Your mind is going to make it mean, oh, this is good or this is bad. And so I think it depends on how you are looking at the pace. If you're looking at it and freaking out if it's too fast or freaking out if it's too slow, then maybe that's not going to be as helpful because you're going to be adjusting yourself based on just a number rather than based on how to feel. It might make you ignore how your body is feeling and stop checking in. It depends on what you're going to make that number on the watch mean. If you're going to make it mean that you're doing terrible and it makes you feel bad, then that's not very useful. So let's not look at the watch. Let's go by feel. But if you can look at the numbers objectively, almost like a scientist, and just go, okay, this is what pace. How am I feeling? Can I pick it up? Do I need to slow down? If you can do it very kind of without emotion, I think it can be really useful to use both. Yeah, I like that. I like the first thing you said, especially where you said the number is just is just neutral. Like, yeah, it's just it, a you number. know what I mean? And what you're has no meaning until you give it a meaning. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And it's also it's the numbers lack all context. So you know, you you the the pace that you're fit enough to run is usually based on perfect situations. So you've had a great week where there were there were no arguments. With your wife, not that I know what that means. I don't know what it means hey. to argue. Yeah. Um. So, but you know, like, and the weather's great, and uh, there was no stress at work, and you know, there was no traffic, and you've been sleeping great. So everything is in this context of like in a perfect situation, which doesn't exist. You're fit enough to run X. So, I think if those are your expectations, then 
and, and anything less than that means, you know, not good enough or failure, which are those things that you're attaching to the numbers, like Tammy said, that that makes no sense. Then, then the GPS is actually being a very, very bad assistant coach to you. I do think it is a marriage between the GPS, which basically is giving you, hey, fitness wise, this is the range I should be in, in, you know, a perfect situation. And how I feel is also important. You know, mentally, you may be saying, you know, I'm not running well, I'm not running well, I'm not running well. And you're just piling on yourself. And that's really why you're not feeling good is because mentally you're beating yourself up. So I think you have to do both. You have to use context, which which is going to involve the the world around you, the, the week leading up to the race, the months leading up to the race and race day with how you're feeling, how those those teammates inside your head are being to you. And then the GPS, which is telling you how fast you're running over a certain distance. But remember, it's not taking into account any of the other things. So it's really both. And I think the more you run and the more you allow it to be about both, um, the better you're going to be able to race. Can I just say one um, really cool coaching kind of thing you did for me when we were in college? Obviously, you didn't coach me, but there was one time when you took me to the track to do a 5K yeah. and you didn't let me wear a watch and you didn't tell me my splits. Yeah. And it was sort of just like, you were like, you're on pace, you're running great. You might've been lying, who knows, but <laughs> I didn't get to get in my head. So I used to struggle a bit mentally in college. And if I would see a time, I would either be like, oh my gosh, it's too fast. I'm not going to be able to keep it up. Oh my gosh. And I would freak out. Or if it was slow, I would freak out. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm running too slow. I'm never going to be able to make it up. So what that helped me do is really get in touch with how my body felt and can I push it a little bit here more? How am I feeling? Can I pick it up? And that was my best at the time. That was my best 5K time ever without the watch because I personally needed to learn how to be in touch with my body and how I could feel and take out the freak out when looking at a neutral number. So I think that, you know, I just want to say thank you belatedly for a really great experience that that taught me a lot about what watches mean and what my body feels like means. Oh, I appreciate that. Let me just real quick cross off my list of when is Tammy going to thank me <laughs> for that 5K on the track? So let me see. That was 25 years ago. Okay, that's off the list. So we'll see when you thank me for the other thing, which was 27 years ago. Okay. Oh. Yeah. All right. Last question. This is from Pillar... Sabine, Pilar, Sabine, I don't know. It's again, it's Instagram handles. What does it mean to hit the wall and how can it be avoided first marathon in 24 for me? Um, Okay, I'll start with this. Um, Well, hitting the wall can mean a couple of different things. I think classically, it means you get to a point where your body basically just starts to fall apart in a marathon. Um, When that is, is it that's unique to everyone. I think if there's a a place where it, it it typically happens, it's usually somewhere 20, 21, 22 miles, the last 10K. And it makes sense because a lot of people um don't go beyond 18 or 20 miles in their training leading up to a marathon. So it makes sense that you know that may be where they hit the proverbial wall. For other people, it's it's mental. Um, where they get to a certain point in the marathon and it just becomes really hard. And I'll tell you what, that is not unique to the marathon. It happens whenever you're trying to do anything as well as you can possibly do it. I mean, if you're trying to reach 100% of your potential, 
you're going to get to a point where you have to ask yourself, can I keep doing this? And so to me, if you dismiss the hitting the wall, which is just physically you, you, you just you fall apart because, hey, that happens, too, sometimes. For a, for a number of different reasons, it could be, um, you know, fueling issues. It could be uh, fitness issues. Um, it, it could be the fact that you weren't prepared for the race. I mean, I had a teammate once who did all of their distance running leading up to a marathon on trails because they thought that would save their legs in their training, which it did. The problem is the marathon was on roads, so their legs were not prepared for 42k on hard roads, which is why they were shocked that they started to fall apart at like 15 miles. So there's all sorts of reasons why you can hit the wall that guess what? You just hit the wall. Then there's just that aspect of the marathon where you're going to get to a point where it gets really, really hard, really hard. And I tell people that's when you take a moment to say, this is exactly where I want to be. And this is exactly what I want to do. Because if you are honest with yourself, one of the reasons why you took on the challenge of the marathon or any other distance is for this moment, is for this challenge, is for this wall to show up or barrier, hurdle, whatever you want to call it. This is why you're doing it. And you did all the training so you could run through it, so you could get through it. Because you've been dealing with all these little barriers and little walls and hurdles for the last 10 weeks, 14 weeks, 20 weeks, year of training. It's another one. It's just on the date on the calendar that you circled so many weeks earlier. So I think it's not so much about it being avoided. And and Tammy, you and I, for whatever reason, I feel like the last couple months, we've been saying this a lot in different situations. This isn't a deviation from the path. Hitting the wall isn't like, oh, I screwed up. It is the path. It is the trail. It is part of the 42.2K. You are on course. You did not take a wrong turn. I think understanding that is going to give you the right frame of mind to run through it. That's what I would say. Okay. So you just said all this beautiful stuff. And then can I just <laughs> bring it back to like a little practical level? I feel like that kind of like is anticlimactic. You That would have been such a good place to end this on. Yeah, totally. The music cues up and, yeah, right, and so like no. people start crying. <laughs> No, go ahead. Am I going to what... am I going to ruin it by bringing it a little more practical? I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. So if, if people... it... yeah, just go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it just feeds on to what you're saying about like, you know, getting through it and I, I love what you said about like this is part of it. Like the the struggle in a race is going to come at some point. Um, but I think I, I was just going to give a couple little tips that have helped me in races that just felt really hard or sometimes even a run that felt really hard. And that's to pick a focal point. Maybe it's someone in a bright orange jersey ahead of you, or maybe it's a mailbox or a certain store that you know you're going to pass on this road race, and you're just going to focus, okay, I'm just going to get to there. And then when you get to there, you pick a new focal point. Okay, I'm just going to get to whatever that new focal point is. And you literally can just do the rest of the race in like 10 second chunks if you need to, mm -hmm. to just you know, because it can feel overwhelming, like, oh my God, I still have 5k to go. And instead, if you're like, I just got to get to that mailbox up ahead. And then when you get to the mailbox, I just got to get up to that, you know, person in the yellow shirt. So that's one way. And then the other way is to look around you in the race. And if there's someone next to you, sometimes it helps to say, hey, do you want to cheer each other on for this last little bit? You know, or it's okay to even say like, hey, I'm struggling a little bit. Like, you know, I'm going to try to stick with you. How you doing? 
and to just have this, you know, make a, make a teammate for yourself. It feels like something that you would say, but um, to just sort of have something to focus on other than how bad you're hurting. Um, but yeah, so that those are my two kind of like bring it back to the practical kind of tips. That was that was good, though, to, to find a teammate is is great. I don't think it's uh, it was as milk toast as you thought it was going to be. <laughs> I will say this. You I was hoping at some point, as I hope every time there's a, a podcast episode that the word chunk will be used. And you used the word chunk. It's one of my favorite words. So I, I think this is a great question to end on for that reason alone. You finally said chunk. And that may be the first time it's been used in one of the Coach Bennett's podcast episodes. So thank you. Never talked about blowing chunks? No, we haven't talked about blowing chunks or the character chunk in Goonies. Mm -hmm. So chunks of chocolate inside of a cookie. Yeah, or a big hunk. That bar. I've never had one of those. That's different than chunk. Oh, that's big hunk. Yeah, not big chunk. But isn't there? (laughs) I think there is. There is. I think it's called chunky. It's like a square candy bar and a silver wrapper mm-hmm. it's either called chunk or chunky i think it's called chunk is it called chunk i'll tell sure. you what i just thought of a great name for a candy you ready yeah chunkles oh that's cute Isn't i mean that... chuckles candy might be a little bit mad because it's no i know similar. that yeah but i mean i don't think chuckles is going to get upset with chunkles because they won't come across anywhere near each other like and you can't be mad when you hear the word chunkle you can't be mad at it because it you just smile too much yes absolutely and i think maybe like if you if your if your uncle's nickname was chunk and he's a hunk and he's an uncle then he's a chunkle does (laughs) that make sense okay i just looked it up chunky it's chunky. It is a square candy bar in a silver wrapper. I know my candy, y'all. You do, but know it's your called candy. chunky. Okay, <laughs> that's a great word too. Right? Chunky is a great word. Listen, I just gotta see what's in it. I listen. I'm gonna come up with something that's a chunkle, and yes, because all I want to do is make a T-shirt that says chunkle on it. So, no, so so I just want to make T-shirts, as you know that. And I just want to make one that says chunkle, but it just maybe it's just because I love the word chunkle and that's good enough. Yeah, and maybe there will be one that says chant and it's a cheer. Wait, what was the thing? I don't know what you're talking about. What does about chunkle right stand now? for? I already forgot. Well, you know what who's... I said it stands for? It's 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 nickname is chunk, is a hunk, and is an uncle. Oh, okay. Chunkle. Yeah. Yeah. So my, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you well, talking about? Let's just cut about? that whole part out. Let's just cut that whole part out. We will. So anyway, maybe someday there'll be a store and you'll be able to order a Chunkle t-shirt. But that's how we're going to end this because I don't know if I'm going to be able to edit it before we go to States. So this may be coming out Saturday night and not Saturday morning, just so everyone knows. But coach, let me thank you for being with us. This was great. I kind of threw this on you yesterday. Would you be willing to do this? for my uh, my listeners, and you said absolutely. So f- speaking for all of them, thank you so much for being with us yet again. You are not only my first guest on Coach Bennett's podcast, you're also my second guest. So you're racking up the wins. Thank you so much for having me on here. And to your listeners, go have fun. Go have fun. There we go. And you can have more Coach Tammy 
If you check out the Show Up Society, which I will have links to her podcast, her, her community, her website, all that good stuff in the show notes. So once again, Coach, thank you. Everyone listening, thank you. Go run with some joy and uh, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And we will meet you yet again on the next Dark Month. Thank you so much for listening to Coach Bennett's podcast today. And if you're not already following or subscribed to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening, well, I really wish you would because it helps a lot. Also, check out the show notes because you'll find a link to Coach Bennett's newsletter as well as all the social media sites that I'm on. Places like Threads and Facebook and Instagram and Mastodon and YouTube and even the artist formerly known as Twitter, whatever that dumpster fire is called today. You'll find a link to it because I'm on there. Thank you so much again for listening. And until next time, take care of yourself.